0: hello hello everyone welcome back to another session in the kingdom hopefully everybody's having a great day today i know in our area it's a snowy day we had some sleets and rain and now it's raining out there it's a little bit uh, warmer than it was earlier today so hopefully everyone's having a great week and hopefully some of you that are coming with me tonight that you're not out in texas and hopefully if you're there you have electricity and you have heat I'm seeing there's a lot of issues going on there right now in Texas with the uh, hidden situation and the icing and the cold weather but it's about to break from what I'm understanding. Hey Jornell, welcome back. Good having you join with me tonight. Thank you for joining me. Um, We're in for an awesome next couple series of session. I decided after a year to go back over and do the basic breakdown of the kingdom again so that for those who've joined me this year who have not really heard me teach on what the kingdom is, I'm going to do a refresher on that, just like I did with prayer, because I believe sometimes repetition, as I said before, leads to revelation. Um, Repetition leads to knowledge, and repetition leads to revelation. So repetition is a good thing. So we're teaching tonight on what is the kingdom of God. It's going to be an exciting series of teaching. I know we'll be able to do it in one night. It's going to be about three or four nights, but I'm going to take the kingdom and break it down to practical, today's living, so we can understand how to walk in kingdom righteousness and obedience to recognize the kingdom of God while we when we hear the term our mind naturally goes towards heaven. Ask each person where's heaven? They don't know. All they know is that heaven's up. <laughs> but we want to go to heaven. Hey Ruthie welcome board. We want to go to heaven and that's the ultimate destination. Um, but if you understand the kingdom that I'm only talking about is the kingdom of God here on earth. And it's hard to comprehend that. This kingdom that we are talking about is not of this world, that's what Jesus says, but it's a kingdom you can live in and walk in right now if you get the understanding of what it is. So I'm going to define the term, I'm going to break it down for you, I'm going back as a refresher for some of you, and like I said, to hear it again is always a good thing, to hear about the kingdom again. So tonight we're going to do a study on that. <clears throat> for those of you who are joining me for the first time, thank you for joining me. You're in for an awesome journey, hopefully you brought your mind and your notebook with you. Because you're going to learn some things when it comes down to this kingdom of God we're talking about. Hmm. It's an amazing thing. So, as I'm looking at what's going on with us in America today and around the world. That the kingdom is almost like a shield that's put around the righteous believer and sons and daughters of God. While we're in the world and circumstances are changing in our world. In the kingdom of God, those circumstance doesn't affect us in the same way. I'm hoping some of you are experiencing that and that you're seeing that, that you can be in the world, but the world doesn't affect you. Your source no longer becomes your government or the people around. Hey, Janet, or the people around you, your source become the Lord. And when you start to walk in the spirit, you find that he's a very present help in time of need. And he gives you confidence and reassures you, no matter what you're hearing out there, no matter what storms may be raging, on the inside you're at peace because he is our peace. So my hope is as you step into kingdom knowledge and understanding you recognize what it is. Um I'm gonna break it all down. I'm gonna break down to your kingdom is not a religion. That's gonna blow some of you away, some of you heard me say it, but I'm gonna explain to you why it's not a religion and why it is a country. And in the kingdom you cannot be a member, you must be a citizen of that kingdom. I'm gonna break it down. Um Hey, Cindy, welcome aboard. Been having you tonight. Awesome. Thank you for joining me. Um, I'm going to break down the kingdom for you for you to understand that what Jesus brought to this planet in giving us our authority back is for us to rule and shape the earth the way we ought to rule and shape it. But because we don't know how to do it, this is why we are struggling. And our circumstances appear to be far greater than our trust in God. So we need to put these things back in order. So we recognize that dominion, power, and authority has been given to you and me to rule and shape the earth in every area. By the way, there should be no. Hey, Phil, Mary, welcome aboard. There should be no circumstance in our life where we're not in control. Everything about God's creation is to give you and I the power. Number one, to walk in self-control, walk in self-discipline. And then after you start walking self-discipline, self-control, start to control your atmosphere or your environment. So it doesn't just stop with your control. You now take that control and put it into every circumstance you encounter in our world. So I'm gonna be breaking that down tonight. So we're gonna be I'm gonna to try to get in as far as I can. I know we'll not be able to finish up the series in the first session. It may be a three or four parts. I did this study trying to make it short. It ended up being nine pages of research. And so I said, okay, Lord, if you want me to teach it, I'll teach it. But I'm gonna break the kingdom down to practical, everyday. Understand so you know how to walk in it, be an overcomer. And for those of you joining for the first time, if you've never sat in one of my sessions, welcome. Good to have you join us tonight. And if you're um, not have not listened to my session, you're more than welcome to go to YouTube and or Facebook. I have some videos there from last year teaching. I recommend you go back from the old older teaching to the newest one because in that uh, let me turn this volume up. In that. Um, It breaks the kingdom down from beginning to end. And my teaching has been on a progressive stage. In other words, I'm moving from end to beginning. And so we continue tonight. If you cannot get on on YouTube, you can also watch here on Facebook as well. And you're more than welcome to ask questions. Put down comments at the bottom of the session. And I'll get back to you with any questions you may have as quickly as I can. All right. I want to get started because I have a lot to cover. And I need to get started and jump right in into this. Now tonight's session... And it's gonna be a probably three or four-part session. Is what is the kingdom of God? Many of you have read it. You said amen to it. You heard it in passing. Yeah, people call the kingdom. But one thing I noticed about all these preachers and teachers who are teaching the gospel, they never defined the term kingdom. What is it? How does it work? How do I apply it? Is the kingdom for now, or is it for industry sweet by and by? And they never define the term. But I'm going to help you tonight to start breaking down the terms, let you understand what a kingdom is. Um, mom, welcome aboard, mom. My mom is here as well. All right, let me get started in this, okay? So stay with me. I'm going to try to break the kingdom. Let's define. First of all, what is the kingdom of God? What is it? Now, to begin, we must first define the term kingdom. If you're going to understand the kingdom of God, you must define the term kingdom. So if you're going to understand it, right? So a kingdom, let me say this, make a statement up front. A kingdom is not a religion. Hmm. I must say that and you must write that down. A kingdom is not a religion. Now within a kingdom, religion is allowed. I'm going to show you too as I go through the study, you're going to see where in part of a kingdom, a religious system is allowed in the rulership of a kingdom, but the source of power doesn't come from the religion. The source of power comes from the government, okay? So i want to define that term. So what is the kingdom? We have to define the term a kingdom. And a kingdom, I say, is not a religion. So let's start, look at the word. What is a religion? Religion is from the, Latin word, word, from the Latin word religio, meaning restraint or religere is another word for the word for religion. And according to Cicero, the meaning of that is to repeat or to read again. Religion, re, means going back to again. That's the word re. So religion in the Latin terminology, religio, is the restraint. Or in religere, means to repeat or to reread again. Or most likely, religionum is another word that's used to show respect for what is sacred. So in religion, they've shown respect for what is sacred. And if they've concluded, that God is sacred or is holy, then they're going to try to worship in the form of religion. Now, religion is an organized system of belief and practices revolving around or leading to a transcendent spiritual experience. That's the whole idea of religion. A transcendent spiritual experience, what we're after in the religion. There is no cultural record in human history which has not practice some form of religion. Religion is a form of worship or an accolade given so we know this is a culture thing it's been passed on generationally to some within to some within a kingdom religion we need to understand so within the kingdom a religion is acceptable as part of the culture. So religion in God's kingdom is acceptable. Because we didn't find Jesus in the New Testament before the gospel condemned the religion. He condemned the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. He condemned them. He said even the laws of Moses obey, just don't do what they do. So it is acceptable in the kingdom to have a religion as a part of the culture. But the main source of power in the kingdom does not come from the religion. It comes from the king. Mm. The main source of power within the kingdom comes from the king. And the king is considered, he is the government, or a son that represents the government. So Jesus was a representative of God's kingdom, and he was a carrier and representing a country, not a religion. You need to understand. Remember now, he sent his son. And if you, I'm going to break it down for you in a little bit, show you how it works. Kings birth kings. I'm going to define that for you to let you understand. So when you saw Jesus, he came to represent his father, who's the king. So the king delegated his authority to his son. And when his son was here, it's as if the government of heaven was on earth in his son. So whenever he speaks, he'd have to go to heaven to get an answer for your need. He spoke as one who's in authority, speaking in the stead of his father. In other words, when he spoke, it's as if his father in heaven was speaking in and through him. Ah, hey, Sarah, welcome aboard. So if you understand how a kingdom is, a kingdom is not religion. It's a country ruled by a government. The power, let me put this way so you can understand it today. Let me slow down. The power in America today, we are operating on a democratic system, but the power in America is not in the house of the religious organization. It's in the hands of the government. Here's a simple proof of this. Who shut down your country? Did the church organization shut the country down when COVID came out? Or did the government shut it down? Mm. You know, we sing the song, We Got the Power in the Name of Jesus. Now, my question why didn't the church shut the country down? Mm. Who shut it down? The government. So, who has the power? The government. You understand? Religion has their power but within their strict religious activity or their culture of people they govern and rule over but they have no power in the sense of ruling over the government unless they're in authority and for them to have the authority they must be in the government. They cannot be in a religious system. They can influence the government but they cannot rule them from where they stand from the religious box. They must be within the structure of the government whether a senator, a congressman a president, a vice president then they have the power to affect the government. Thus the story of Daniel. Thus the story of Elijah. Thus the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you understand? Because they were in the government, they had power, and they affected the governments and the kingdom of their time. So if you understand the concept, so a kingdom is not a religion. A kingdom is a country ruled by government. Alright. In case you doubt me, that what I'm saying to you is true. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. I'm going to show you Old Testament time. This is Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 to show you what a kingdom is. Okay? I said it's not a religion. And I defined the word religion to you. So I'm going to define now to show you that a kingdom is not a religion. Listen to this, Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born. This was a prophecy, a foretelling of the birth of Jesus. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. Did you see that? This is the fourth problem. Isaiah prophesying thousands of years in the future. He's prophesying for unto us a child will be born. And unto us a son will be given. And listen to this. And the government, not the religion, underline that word in Isaiah. The government, not the religion, hmm, will be upon his shoulder. And he will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And listen to this. And of the increase of his government. Oh, my, 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 the increase. Do you remember the story that Jesus told of the mustard seed? This is that prophecy being spoken about right here. He said the kingdom of God will be the smallest seed in the garden, but grow to be the biggest. In other words, it'll start very small, but there'll be an increase. And they expand so that all the birds of the garden come and build their nests and land in that tree. Do you remember that story? That's kingdom expansion. That's the expansion of the kingdom. Kingdoms and kings are always seeking to expand their territory or area of influence. So the more territory they capture, the greater their names become and the greater rulership that they have. I always say it this way: a king without territory is a d. Throne king, because he's ruling over nothing and he's ruling over no one. So, without territory and land, you have no authority. Uh oh. Mm, do I touch it? Do I touch it? I think I should touch it. Can it be that God's people, because you never understand your kingdom authority and your dominion power, that all this clan is supposed to own land and territory? Did you know that? If this kingdom is going to grow, and you're going to be a son of a king, then without land and territory, you have no power. Are you understanding why those who have land and have possession is ruling you? Because they have the authority, because they're controlling possession. We pay them to use their land called landlords. (laughs) Why are you a landlord? I'm just saying. All right, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 9, okay? For unto us a child is born. Very interesting terminology. Let me put it this way. Jesus was born. Christ was given. Hmm. Let me help you. Because this one a tough one. you got to see it. So Jesus was born. Christ was not. He was given. My God. All right. Let me help you. Let me help you here. I know it's a little bit tough one for you. you got to catch this. Jesus, for him to be on the planet, was born of Mary. So for others, unders- a child is born was his mother? Mary. Hmm. But it goes on to next verse. But unto us, a son is given. When was the son given? As his baptism. Do you remember? Jesus was born. Christ was given. He was never born. He descended down upon Jesus in the form of a dove. Do you remember his baptism? When John baptized him? And there you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all in one location in the Bible. And God spoke, this is my son. And the dove came. And landed upon him. The son was given. Are you understanding? So that prophecy was fulfilled right before your very eye in that scripture. There in that passage scripture where John baptized Jesus. And he comes up out of the water. And heaven opened up and the false beat. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The dove descended upon him calling the form the spirit. Leaving John the Baptist enters him. Now the son is given. And there the born child, Jesus, the body is right there present. You see all three right there in your Bible. Now this prophecy, prophecy is fulfilled before your very eye. and the government, government represent the authority and the power of the king, shall be upon him. Thus, when Jesus spoke, but I say, that's the king speaking, he's decreeing something new. And they were saying in his time, because he's a king, he said, according to time, Jesus, what is adultery? And they said, in the Jewish custom, they said, an adultery, it was when you're caught in the very act, right? That was their belief system. Thus, the story in your Bible where they caught the woman in the very act of adultery. Their belief system was of their day was if you never caught the person in the act of adultery, then you can't accuse him of adultery. Even though he did the deed, you didn't catch her. But the woman that they brought to him, right, they caught her in the very act. And they brought her to him and said, Jesus, according to the law of Moses, this woman ought to be stoned to death. What do you say? Now, listen to the government of heaven. By the way, they had brought her to the courts of heaven. Now, who was the judge then? Jesus. You've got to see it. Remember now, he's bringing them to the governor. The government is up on his shoulder. They're asking him, according to the law of Moses, which came from the father, right? His father. And they said, a the person get caught in the, the Old Testament time. The man and the woman should be stoned to death. That was the law. Now they brought a woman to him caught in the very act. And they're going to try to test him to see how he would respond or how would he rule in the situation. Here's my simple question to you if you read the story carefully. If she was caught in the very act of adultery, why did they only bring out her to be judged? She wasn't committing adultery by herself. Where was the dude? Hmm. Could it be it was a setup? Or could it be one of their friends... And he had the biggest rock out there. so that woman made me do it. (laughs) That sound familiar? It's been going on since the book of Genesis. I'm just telling you. Yeah, she made me do it. Yeah, committed adultery with her. She made me do it. Where was the dude? How could you bring her caught in the very act and you bring her out and left him in the house? That makes no sense. That means there was a setup here. You think Jesus didn't recognize that? Now let's go to the ruling. They bring her out before Jesus, caught in the very act, by the law of Moses, she is to be stoned to death because they caught her in the act, right? She also have their witnesses. Are you seeing it? But when you stand before just, judge, his ruling has got to be right. So they bring a representative to him. Three times they ask him, what do you say? The law of Moses says to be stoned. He ignored him, wrote in the ground. Second time they ask him, what do you say? He wrote in the ground again. And the third time he says this, you who are without sin cast the first stone. And the Bible says, and from the eldest to the last, they dropped the stone and walked away. Okay, now, hmm, what did he just say there? You who are without sin cast the first stone. In other words, you dare to point your finger at that woman. You're trying to tell me this entire time, you guys were out here watching her in that room, doing the very act of adultery, and none of you in your mind or in your heart didn't want to be in there with her? Hmm. Do you understand the conviction? What was he speaking to? The mind and the heart. Because understand something. If a guy is outside and a girl is inside in the room with a guy, you think they're not thinking? Oh my goodness, I could, well, let me in there. I, mm-hmm. You think they weren't thinking that? You think you couldn't read their mind? In case you doubt what I'm saying, may I recommend you read Hebrew chapter 12, verse 4? I'm sorry, Hebrew four twelve. That the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, divine between marrow and bone, and divine the thought and intent of the mind. Did Jesus know in their heart and their mind? Yes, He did. What did He do when He spoke those words? You know what would are saying? they brought conviction because He was reading their minds and their heart, and that's why they dropped the rock. Conviction hit them because He knew what they were thinking, he knew what they were doing. Right now, listen to this. As you've read the story and you've heard it preached, they said He turns to the woman and says, "This woman." Where are thine accuser? And she turns to him and says, None, Lord. Then he says, This, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Do you remember reading that in your Bible? Now, right there, when church picks up on that and they read it, they say, Oh, that's grace right there. Hmm, That's grace right there. See, Jesus didn't condemn her. No, 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 no. See, you misunderstood again. You're reading scripture, but you're not slowing down to pick up what he just said. He asked a question. In other words, where are thine accuser? Let me put it in, in a legally terminology. He was asking them, since they brought her to the courts of heaven, Jesus is the judge. He's asking, where are the witnesses? You've got to see that. He didn't let her go free. He asked her a question. Where are the accusers? The witnesses, they're the one who made the accusation. She said, none. Now, let me show you how this this works. Because the witnesses left the courtroom, even though she was guilty of adultery, he could not condemn her because there was no evidence against her. They had left. The witnesses left. Oh, 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 oh. You got to see it. He didn't let her go because of grace. He let her go because the witness left the room. In the Hebrew culture, culture, a thing is established as truth in the presence of two or three witnesses. So he asked the question, where are they? He knew it was a setup. So he didn't let her go because she was not guilty. He let her go because there was no evidence against her. And you know this to be true today in your court system. You could have a murderer on the stand. You could have three to four witnesses. But in the day he's taken the trial, if the witness does not show up to corroborate the evidence, the judge by law has got to let that man go, even though he's a murderer. Now do you understand the story? Now does that make sense? See, this is where we're not understanding. He did not let her go because she was an adulterer. He let her go because he knew it was a setup. Because like you and like me, I'm thinking... Well, if she could be seductive, caught in very act, where's the guy? Both of them should be brought out and then it'd be just justice, right? But they only brought out one to trap him. Do you understand? That's the reason why he had to set her free because he knew it was a setup. Then he warns her, now go, don't sin no more. What was he trying to tell her? Listen, this time you get away because I knew there was a setup against you. These guys set you up to trap me. But the next time you do it, You're going to stone to death. If they catch you, you're a dead woman. So don't do this no more. I'm just telling you, because they're going to set you up again. (laughs) That was all the story was about. Then he says this. So they had believed to be caught in the act was adultery. Then Jesus, listen to the government there. Listen to God, the judge of heaven. But I say, they said adultery to be caught in the act. He said, but I say, if you think to lust after the woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. Did you see what he just did there? Mm, come on now. Oh, 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 oh. We think, oh, wow. <clears> then <throat> asked mm, the next question. What is the significance of him saying, "Who you who are without sin cast the first stone? What's the significance? In other words, their sin, when you look at it, setting her up and, and they're watching, the whole time was greater than hers. They were watching and it may have been a setup because the whole time she was committing adultery, they're, they're watching. So their sin is greater because they had thought and intent, it was premeditated, and then she was caught in the very act of doing the act. So her, their sin is greater. So in other words, you are looking at a speck in her eye and not seeing the beam in their own. They start with premeditation, they start with setup, and as you know in the court of law, the greatest punishment goes to premeditation. Do you understand? So they're now basically trying to tell you if you have a beam in your eye, how dare you try to pick the speck out of somebody else's eye. But this whole parable story of reading was all about setting up Jesus to see if he would violate the law of Moses. What they didn't realize who, they didn't realize who they were talking to. It was him, his father, who gave that law to Moses. So he knew the ins and outs of the law and knew how it worked. But they had concluded, they had concluded, hey William, they concluded that um, they knew more or just trying to set him up in this realm and hopefully could trap him with something they can use against him. But he figured he read their heart and their mind, knew what their intent was, and he trapped them in it. So the conviction came when he recognized he knew their thought and their heart and the choice that he had made. So they were in a sense, guilty than she was. And that's why they had dropped the rock. By the way, in the Hebrew culture, even stoning was done in a certain order. You, the youngest one could not throw the first rock. He had to go in the order of age. So from the eldest to the last to the youngest was how they threw their rock. Even there was a whole law pertaining to that too. It's an amazing thing when you study the story out. So now you understand. So the whole idea of the government has to be in that very moment, Jesus decreed in his father's stead a new law by saying adultery is no longer to be caught in the act. But to think in your mind, make a choice of the heart, you've already done it. So you don't have to touch him or her. By God's standard, it's your thought and the mind and the heart that's looking at. So once we have a thought, once we made the choice, we may not commit the act, physically manifested, but we desire it. He said you committed adultery. Oh, uh-oh, boy, some of us in trouble, boy. There's some stuff going on in our head we're not controlling. It's all about controlling the thought and the mind. That's what God keeps on telling you. I keep looking at your mind and your heart. You're living your public life. To, to the audience of people, but you're living your private life to the audience of one. So you've got to recognize if God is watching your heart and the mind, how important is it, is it for you and me to control your thought, capture thought and imagination, cast them down, bring them to the obedience of Christ, make the right choice of the heart, because he's watching those. He is watching from the inside out, not from the outside in. Man's watching from the outside in, so they're looking for the act or the manifestation, so that when they see you do something, and you manifest something, they judge you based on what your action look like, thinking they can read your mind and your heart, but they don't know the principle. So God sees you the opposite way. Now you understand. So now we're reading here, Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now you understand that Jesus was the child born. Christ was the son given. Right? And the government, not the religion. Very important you see that. Because government has to do with power and authority and rulership. Will be upon his shoulder. He will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus was called all those things, correct? And of the increase of the government and his peace, there will be no end. He will there's another word you need to underline as a n he will reign. Hmm. Why doesn't it say he will lead? Why does not it say he will be the head presbyter? Why is he reigning? Well, you now know, according to scripture, there's only one that reigns. President don't reign. Senators don't reign. Only kings reign. And their reign is a lifetime. Hmm. Wow. So, underwear. and he will reign on the throne. Another word you need to understand that Jesus was a king. He will reign on the throne. King sits on what? Throne of David. David was who? A king. Are you understanding? So prophecy, before Jesus showed up, is telling us he's bringing to the earth a kingdom governmental rule, not a religion. Because when he got here, the religion was already here. Mm, come on. He ruled in the throat of David and over his kingdom. I'm going to define the word kingdom for you in a minute to get you to understand what the kingdom is. And he says the kingdom now to establish and sustain it with justice, justice with right judgment and righteousness from the t- from that time and forevermore. Two things that God looked for in His kingdom is justice and righteousness. That's the two main factors of every kingdom. Mm. In religion, your justice is negotiable. And in religion, your righteousness, uh, well, I try to do the best I can. Ain't nobody perfect. You know, we all sin. See, that's religion. In kingdom, the standard is Jesus. Did he walk in justice? He just showed you justice with that woman. Did he not? Did he walk in righteousness? He obeyed all of God's commandments. Did he not? You understand? So if you're going to be a citizen of the kingdom, he demands that of us. I'll talk to you later about, later on about how the reason why we're here on the earth walking in kingdom, knowledge and understanding is because God is going to reestablish the earth again for us to rule over in justice and in righteousness. This earth right now is your training ground and mine right now for kingdom rulership because we're operating now in the unseen kingdom, which is in your heart. But the day will come when the physical manifestation of the physical kingdom will come. And in that moment, we'll be judges and rulers over the earth in God's new heaven and earth in his kingdom. That's what we're here for. Mm. That's why they save fruits. Amen. By their fruit you shall know them. So now we understand that this child and this son prophesied Jesus, and he came as a king, and he reigned and ruled, and he's ruling over a kingdom. Now let's look up the word kingdom. If you're going to understand the terminology, we must define it. What is a kingdom? Well, the word kingdom has two words attached to it. It's called king. And another word is dom, D-O-M, K-I-N-G, and dumb. So let's define the word king. A king is a supreme ruler, a sovereign over a nation or territory. Very important those words are there. He is a supreme ruler, a sovereign over a nation or a territory. He's of higher ranking than any other secular ruler except an emperor. An emperor exceeds a king because he's a major. So you could actually call God an emperor and Jesus the king, if that makes you more comfortable. To whom a king must be subject. An emperor is far greater because he control more masses, more territories, and he can have king within. That's why Caesar was called an emperor. And what did he produce? Lesser kings and governors below him to rule his territories. The bigger the territory... You understand? The greater his rule. So now you understand the term now. So the word king here is a sovereign, a supreme ruler over a nation or territory, and he has a higher ranking. Let me give you a definition, ladies, because you need to understand you're part of this too. I'm talking about a king and a kingdom, but the part we sometimes miss is the queendom. Let's talk about that. <laughs> Because <laughs> we keep on excluding ourselves. Come on now, you're part of this too. Let me show you the word queen. A queen is a woman who rules a country because he has been born into a royal family. Very important. You have to be born into the family. Oh, or a woman who is married to a king. So automatically the title you receive when you're married to the king is queen. So when you sit beside him, you're equal, but your title is queen. And king ruling together. Interesting, huh? And yet she's a ruler of a country or she can rule a kingdom. Thus, Queen Elizabeth. She is the Queen of England. She rules over Australia. Mmm. She was ruling at one time Jamaica. Australia still today is called Queensland. Queensland. Not king, because there's no king rule in England, but she is, and that belongs to the British colony. It's called Queensland. She is the queen over Australia. She can make a phone call. She's in a position of authority, make one phone call, fire everybody in government if she wanted to. But she has taken a lesser role now by being more of a figurehead now than an actual ruler. But she had that power. Because they conquered territory. They went to Africa. They went to Jamaica. They went to the Bahamas. And you'll find Puerto Rico. All different places they went to. They conquered territory. Because so the kingdom is always expanding. Thus the word queen. So by the way, ladies, when I say the word kingdom, it does not exclude you. You are queendom. You are territory. And you the rulership over the domain of the territory just like a man does. So you have the same power too. So you understand why God calls us sons of God. He doesn't differentiate between male and female. Sons has to do we are part of the same family, or descendants, or genealogy. Thus the word woman, or female. Woman and female, right? Feet, fetus, F-E, F-E-T-U-S, fetus, male. So you're a male carrying the fetus. Wo, W-O, W-O represent W-O-M-B. W-O-M-B, man, M-A-N, man is spirit. So right, so the woman carries the fetus. Yes, exactly. My wife said Australia's independent now. Exactly right. But if she was ruling in the figure of power. She basically cut back on the power and allowed parliament or some other form of government to rule over the nation. So, so if they have got their independence, just like Jamaica did, then yes, she's no longer ruling that country. But the name still remains. It's still called Queensland. Exactly right. So they got their independence. So I want to show you how that works. Okay. That's the word queen. Okay. So the word king, ruler of domain and territory, queen, ruler over domain and territory as well. So that you understand God didn't somehow exclude you from this rulership. And let's look up the word dom, D-O-M. with well, there's two words attached to the word dom, dominion or domain, dominion or domain. Okay. Let's look up the word dominion. Dominion means a territory or sphere of influence or control or a realm. Dominion is defined as control or power over or the authority to rule over a territory, land, or people group. That's dominion, right? So we've got to ask yourself, what were you and I given from God? Dominion. Men and women, right? Genesis 126. Let us make man in our image and our likeness and give him dominion. That's what you were given. That's natural to you. That's your authority over the bird, the air, the ground, the fish, and the creeping thing, all your environment. Control it. That's your power. That's what you were given. So it's the word dominion. It's land, territory. And the question you must ask yourself, what was the first thing God gave to Adam when he created him? When Adam came out of dirt, woke up from his sleep, what was the first thing he gave him? I think some of you who heard my teaching before, you know the answer. What did he give him? He did not give him woman first. Very important. (laughs) The same. The first thing God gave Adam was rulership over land or territory before he gave him a woman. In other words, he gave him something to rule over. (laughs) It was not her, all right? So, we'll give you that as a bonus and there. Let's just add it in, all right? Very important to understand. So, the word there, dominion, is one word for the word dom, right? We are in Christ. That's why we're exactly right. You're called queens because you're a descendant of king. You're a born. It's very key for you to understand when the Bible's teaching the things that when they said you must be born again. What's he trying to tell you? Kings are not voted into power. They are born into it so we had to be born again. What's the easiest way to receive citizenship in a country? If it's a religion, you can just go to the religion, they accept you, you don't have to be born to a religion. You just gotta pick up which pick one you want and join them. You just join that. But to enter a country, the easiest way to get your citizenship is to be born into the country, isn't that true? Thus, you now understand the southern border while there's young girls crossing that border trying to get their babies born in America. Do you now understand? Because that young girl understand, or that lady who's pregnant understand? I may be illegal crossing the border, but if the baby's born here, she or he or she is automatically a United States citizen. You can remove the parent, but you cannot touch the child because the child was born on the land. Thus he gets the right to citizenship, even though the parents is illegal. Now you understand why they're crossing the border. Who you gotta see it, you gotta understand. My goodness, there's an explanation and a reason as to why things are happening. They figured out, I don't have to get pregnant here. I can get pregnant in my country. I just gotta birth the child here. And by law, that child is automatically a citizen. The parent is illegal, but the child is legal. Are you understanding? Hmm, wow, gotta grasp that. Okay, next, the second word we have to look at, second word is the word dominion, we just described that one, and then domain, that's the next word, king, dominion, king, domain, right? Is And the word domain is a particular field of thought activity, or interest, especially one over which someone has control, influence, rights, such as land, or territory. Are you seeing it? So it can be called, the earth is the kingdom, or king domain, or king's dominion. Now let's put the word together, what a kingdom is. Let's define it then, right? So we now understand the word kingdom is two words put together. King, which is a sovereign, ruling over domain, or territory, or dominion, that's the word that's used there. Now, let's define the word kingdom. This is the meaning of the word kingdom. Thus, a kingdom is, I'll give you the definition, the governing, governing or ruling influence of a king or queen. Very important, I'm putting both in there because you have to define the term, put it together, right? So let me read it again. Thus, a kingdom is the governing or ruling influence of a king or queen over a nation or territory, influences that territory or controlling it with his mind, his will, and his intent, then he chooses a people or a citizenry that will reflect his nature and his culture. Oh, my. I think I just described the entire Bible, described God to you, described Jesus, right? I just said right there. Let me break it. Let me say it again. Let me say it again. Because you got to get a hold of this, what this is. A kingdom is not a religion. A kingdom is the governing influence of a king and the ruling influence of a king or a sovereign. In other words, they can use king or sovereign over a nation or territory, influencing or controlling it with his mind, his will, and his intent. Then he chooses a people or a citizenry that will reflect his nature, and his culture. I'm going to define these terms for you. You understand what I'm trying to tell you. So you understand a kingdom. So kings rule over certain land territory. Uh, he's a sovereign. He's birthed into power. And he rules over land territory. And he rules over a people group too. By the way, sit here. So now let me give you the scripture to support what I'm trying to tell you. To show you who God and what he did for you. First Peter chapter 2. Verse nine through 10. That's first Peter chapter two, verse nine through 10. Let me show you what he said about you. So you understand what I'm trying to tell you to confirm what I'm telling you that you, he's a king ruling over people and out a children and that you are a chosen people. Listen to this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people belonging to God that you should declare the praise of Him who has called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Now let's go through and look at that, okay? Now we're talking about kings, right? So kings chooses His citizenry. In a kingdom, the people do not vote for the king. Nor do people, nor do the people get the right to pick a king. That's not their rights in the kingdom the king picks the people the king is not voted into office or into power he is born into it and then he gets to choose his citizen thus first peter chapter 2 tells you but you are chosen the word chosen here means selected from a number picked out taken in preference elected predestined and designated to an office. Oh! Mm, 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 mm. Doesn't it tell you, John, that you have been predestined from the foundation of the earth? Mm. Were you chosen? I think you were. If you are chosen, there's a difference, you were selected from a number of people. By the way, let me put it this way, you understand. If you are here tonight on this session hearing me, Amongst the people of planet 7.5 billion, God has chosen you to hear this message. That's why you're here listening to me tonight. Question. Were you chosen? How come the rest of the 7.5 billion people are not here? Hmm. Now, can they hear this message if they wanted through technology? Sure. Will they? Odds are not. Why? Because they're not searching. They're not seeking. They don't know what to look for. But you are here because you have made a choice to hear what I have to say. So because of that, you're now chosen. Many are called. The called are not necessarily chosen. Remember now, the word chosen is selected from a number. So when someone's called in a number, everybody turns around. So let me show you how the difference between being called and being chosen is. What's the difference? Well, if I'm in a room of 20 people. And I want to get the attention of one person I want to talk to. But there's a lot of noise in the room. The only way for me to get their attention is to get everybody, everybody, everybody. everybody or a clap or do something, a whistle. Everybody pay attention. And then once I quiet them down to pay their attention to me, that's the call. Out of that, I say I need to speak to so-and-so in the back. When you come forward, that's the chosen. Now you understand the difference. The calls are not necessarily chosen. Mm. Now I'm going to say something here's going to be controversial, but you need to hear it. Many of those who are preaching and teaching today are living their lives based on a call. But you now understand the call are not necessarily chosen. They were called to attention. They were called to look up. They're the one God picks out of the number. He said, that's the chosen. So here's my question to you. He preached the gospel to the world of his time. How come he only chose 12? <laughs> Everybody heard the message that was around him. They believed it. How come he only chose 12? Because see, everybody was called, but only few were chosen. The twelve were chosen. If you understand the concept, so God calls everyone to sonship, but the chosen are those He set aside for Himself. That's very unique to Himself. So when you're going to be choosing by God, you've been set aside for a number. You've been picked out. You've been taken by preference. Now here's my question: Why did God choose you above everybody else? What is it about you He's seeing that you're not seeing, or that others don't see? Why did He choose you? Hmm. Because if you understand, John, you've been predestined from the foundation of the world to conform to sonship, to be adopted as a son. That means there's something in you that draws him to you that says, you are chosen. And why you're here, listen to me. Predestined means that your destiny was already predetermined in you, that when you hear the message of the kingdom, you would not reject it. You see, I'm preaching this to everybody and to anybody willing to listen. But the problem is they're busy in their ear hearing other things. Some are busy in religion hearing religious teaching. But they're not hearing the message of the kingdom. So they're, they're blocking me out. All of us have been called to sonship. All of us have been in a sense chosen. But it comes down to the whosoever will let him come. Do you understand? So the sound goes out to all. But the whosoever will who make a choice to come to Jesus. That's his chosen ones. Now you understand. In other words, I'm trying to tell you, it comes down to your choice. Mm -hmm. It comes down to your choice. God can call you all he wants to, but unless you make a choice to accept the invitation, he cannot force you. You can choose to go somewhere else if you want to. You have the right to do that. But because you have turned your ears to this message, you are now called the chosen of God. You understand? That means that's in you. That's being uniquely created in you for your chosen generation. And he said, you're a chosen generation or chosen people people meaning, the word people there meaning human being making up a group of assembly, linked of of common interest. So we have been connected here because we're hearing the same message we are linked or connected together because we have a common interest. Learning more about our righteousness. Learning about our authority. Learning more about who we are in God. Learning about our kingdom rulership. So we link and connect it that way. And we actually start to form a family of like mind, like interest, and like thinking. That's what's starting to happen. The more you listen to me, you become of light-mindedness, right? And he said, now you are a royal. Notice the word. He didn't say you are a Christian there. You notice that? He said royal has to do with royalty, doesn't it? If it was religion, he would say you are a Christian, but he said, no, you're a royal. Royal, having the status of a king or queen. That's royalty. You have the status as a king or queen or a member of their family, so we're the man, member or member of the family of the household of god he's a king, so we're part of that family that 's why you 're royal who my goodness, and he calls a priesthood we're a royal priesthood. It is the eternal power and authority of our heavenly Father. He mediates between the people and their God that 's the priesthood. We are one called to mediate between us and God. We take the message of God to the people and the the, the Needs of the people to our creator, God, who is the source and sustainer of all people and all their need. Thus, we are a priesthood, a mediator, mediator between God and man. We are standing in the gap, basically, trying to draw man to God and God's will to man. You understand? That's the priesthood. So we are called to a royal, King, King, going to a royal priesthood. That's their area operating. It says a holy, No, sin say perfect here, a perfect, a holy Nation or a perfect nation? No, you're holy. The word holy means to set apart for the service of God um, or of a divine being. You're set apart. You've been sanctified. You've been made one. What you do, what you say, and who you are do not change. That's being holy. That's why God is holy. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why it's called holy. He does not change. So what the idea of holiness is being set apart. So because you are chosen, you and I have been set apart for God's use and for God's purpose. And what's the purpose? To preach this message of the kingdom to all nation, and then the end shall come. So you've been called down, separated for that purpose. Interesting, huh? A nation is a large aggregate of people, united by common descent, history, culture, language, inhabiting a particular country or a territory. So in the kingdom of God... We're in the world, in the kingdom, but you're not a part of the world. The world is the biggest sphere or scope of mankind, but within that sphere, you can have a smaller sphere called the kingdom of God or a nation within nation. But the key is our nation in the kingdom is not a physical realm. It's a spiritual realm within the physical world. Let me say it again. Let me say that again. Our opposition as a nation Is a spiritual nation within a physical nation that is unseen. And it's the same example as the physical one. But we are spirit walking amongst the physical and the kingdom of God is within and not without. So you can be in the world without and be another part of the world. Why? Because you're living from within, out, not from the outside, in. Do you understand the concept? That's what this is trying to tell you here. So you are a holy nation and you are a peculiar people. A people being the property of a king or to God that you may declare or announce officially or proclaim the praises, the admiration, the approval of him who has called you out of darkness. Darkness here represents wickedness or evil or ignorance. Who so has called us out of ignorance into, or in this case, wickedness or evil or sin. That's darkness. That's the word there for darkness. It's sin. Wickedness, evil, or another word for darkness is the word ignorance. Because we were once lost. We were trapped in our ignorance. We didn't know who we were. We didn't understand what our power was. We didn't know what our destiny was. We weren't certain what we were called to be and to do. We lacked purpose and direction. And we certainly lacked power and authority over our environment. So we felt that we were under the pressure of the world. And we felt totally without power. So God sent forth his son in due season to bring us back our authority to recognize you have been given dominion power from the government of heaven through delegated authority to shape and rule your world and your circumstance. You no longer have to give in to your lower nature, to your flesh. You no longer be subject to sin. You don't to be subject to sickness or disease or fear or anxiety. You can take a power and authority over them because Jesus demonstrated how to do that for you to see. Woo. He called the other darkness into his marvelous, or in other words, use wonderful, light. Now, what does that mean? He brought us in other darkness into light. Well, the word light there represents, you can say, sunshine, right? Sunshine is light. Daytime is light, right? But the word light here represents illumination. The light that's reflecting back at me right now is called light, right? Because it's looming. What does it do? It allows us to see. Another word for light here is understanding of a problem or a mystery. Another word for light is the word enlightenment. Another word for light is revelation. And another word for light is truth. <laughs> oh, wow. There's so many words. So when you pick up a word, you're going to understand how much meaning there is. So when you talk talking about light, he said, now, Jesus, the Bible said, Jesus is the light of the world. Then when he left, he said, now, you are the light of the world. Now, did he pass us a bulb? <laughs> well, you can say it that way. He passed me the light bulb. <sighs> If you understand what he's talking about, he said when he came, he found us in darkness, in ignorance, in deficiencies. We couldn't. We were weak. We were broken. Sin was beating us up. The devil was ruling the power. So he came to bring revelation, bring us out of ignorance, understand who we are, understand our power. Then he brought us into light and gave us enlightenment and revelation, and truth as to who we really are, that we are kings and queens, and the earth has been given to us to have dominion and rulership over the earth. That's what he brought to remind you of. He gave you dominion power back so you can rule over the devil instead of him ruling and whirling all over you. You get to control him now when you understand your purpose, your potential, and your destiny, that there is a king or queen within this dirt suit that if I start to understand my power and authority, I am no longer be walked over by the devil, be lied to, but I get to walk all over him, and I cast him down from over my head and put him underneath my feet. That's the power being given. That's the authority of the sons of God. So he brought us into his marvelous life through Revelation. He said, once you are not my people. Now, why did he say that? Was he talking about Jewish people here? No, he said, you Gentiles. But well, they also was one time was not his people either. So he said, once you are not my people. But now you are the people of God. Why? Because you've chosen to accept his invitation to come back home to dad's house. One of the issues you and I were struggling with when we are on this planet without God is the spirit of abandonment. That's the greatest struggle most human beings are struggling with. It's the spirit of abandonment. For years we heard about God. But we could never identify with him because many of our struggles, we are always pointing the finger at God. Why would a loving God allow this? Jesus was more acceptable to us because he was a human. He, we could identify with him. But with God, it's a whole different story. So the father recognized there was a problem. There's a spirit of abandonment. They have to go back down to redeem the sons back to their father's house to let them know your father didn't forsake you. He did not abandon you. So I'm going to send my son, my only son, to pay the price for your sin. And you're disobedient, so I can bring you back home to your heavenly father's house. So he dealt with the issue. He said, no longer are you slaves and servants anymore. Now you are the sons of God. And because you're a son, you're a joint heir with Jesus, and now you have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Do you not understand what he did for you and I? He restored us back to sonship because the spirit of abandonment was taking over. We felt God didn't care. He doesn't know what we're going through. We couldn't identify with him. But with Jesus, when he came to pay the price that God set to redeem the sons. He said, now you're now joint heir. You're back in the family now. Now the, this, now he said the word you use now. He says, calling him Abba, father, daddy, puppy. <laughs> All right. So that's the word. He said, you're no longer orphans anymore. You're sons of God. Now stop to live in your authority. Rise up and be the kings and queens that you are. <laughs> All right. Well, I said light gives us freedom from sin. Amen. Revelation, illumination, it gives us freedom from sin. Exactly. When you understand the process of sin, then that light helps you to see the thought, choice, and manifestation. So it illuminates you to understand the process of sin so you can stay control over it. And so you have to sin no more. You can control yourself. And it's always about the mind first. The heart second, the flesh is third. That's the manifestation. So the fruit, that's what Jesus kept saying, by their fruit, what's that from? The thought and choice manifest the fruit. Seed, sand, soil, manifestation, the tree. Apple, orange, whatever. So the seed planted in the mind, takes root in the heart, manifests itself in the flesh, and produces the fruit. That's the principle. So because of that light, You're no longer ignorant to the devices of the devil who are tricking you, thinking you have to walk in darkness, which is ignorance or lack of power. Now you can walk in power and you get to cast them down from over your head, which is the area here attacks. It attacks your mind with thought, with imagination, with pictures, with desires. That's where it attacks, right? Elliot, welcome, my friend. Good to have you on tonight. (laughs) So that's the idea. So that light, exactly right. Light gives you freedom from sin because it opens your eyes and your mind to understand what is happening to you. So if you understand the concept. So now you see, the kingdom now is the governing influence or ruling influence of a king. He is a sovereign over a nation or territory, or controlling it with his mind. I'm going to break the mind down. Why is he controlling with his mind? His thought and intent, what is will, his purpose, and his desire. In other words, he wants to create now, within the territory he governs over, law-abiding citizen, walking in righteousness and in justice. Hmm, I gotta break down the problem of the king. The king does not want, in his territory, law-breaking people. He does not want sinners. I'm sorry, guys. I know your church is justified. The church has become a hospital. When did you read the Bible? God made the church a hospital. Where did you get that from? The hospital is down the street. That's when you say sick people from the world. You no know, one did you say my husband would be a hospital. If you make God's house a hospital, then you're bringing in sick people and you're leaving there with needles in their arm, with a tube, with all the craziness, and you're not healing them. Why bring them to the hospital if you ain't curing them? So the house of God is never called a hospital. Jesus never said that. And when they brought anyone to his house, he cured them. He healed them. He delivered them and he set them free. So where do we get this idea from that the church of God, the building is God's house? Now, if you want to call the hospital, put the word "H" up there and call the hospital. Do not take the name of God off there, because nowhere does He build a building if you bring people into to and keep them sick. You're supposed to set them free. You're supposed to heal them. You're supposed to restore them to health and to strength, and you're supposed to send them home. <laughs> Nobody that I've met likes being in the hospital. I'm sorry, it's a beautiful, beautiful place, nice white sheep, but who wants to have that stuff attached to them? It's a contradiction. So the statements we're making, we've been taught in religion, sounds good, but it's not scripture. The house of God is not called no hospital. Sorry, guys. I hate to kill that little demon, but it's got to go. All right, let's look at it. Now we need to define now, since we understand what a kingdom is. A kingdom is the king or sovereign rule of a domain or territory. His territory he wants to expand. Then he chooses his citizenry. You and I were chosen, picked out, that is subject to the king in righteousness and in peace and justice. And I'm going to break down to you his responsibility towards you and your responsibility towards him. We'll get to that as we continue to teach. But we're going to talk about it now, we have to look at his nature and we have to look at his culture. We talk about a kingdom, right? The nature of a king, the basic, the word nature means a basic or inherited feature of something, right? It's the basic or inherited or feature of something. Another word is used for nature is his character, his identity, his attributes, his behavior, his thoughts, and his choices. Oh, boy, there's that word again. So now, what do we say about a kingdom? That he he chooses a people or citizenry that will reflect his nature. Hey, Anne-Marie, welcome. That reflects his nature. His nature means his character, his identity, his attributes, his behavior, his thoughts, and his choices. Are you now understanding why he gets to pick them? Because our job is to now emulate him. Oh, in character, Uh oh boy, in character, oh, we gotta define the word character. Character is who you are when you're by yourself that no one sees but you and God that's where your character is developed. We're supposed to be like God in character. The place where you and I need the most integrity and character is when you're by yourself. Hmm, oh Oh, close to home, but here's the problem. The place we're being defeated and we're losing it in many times in our life is when we're by ourselves. We lack strength, we lack control, so we fail in our character in private before God. We don't fail in public; we fail in private, and that's where a character is developed. Is when we're by ourselves, because that's where God is, and that's what God is looking at. So we're supposed to have the nature of God, the character, the identity. Oh, can okay, we talk to you about identity? Where in the Bible did Jesus call you a Christian? You have dropped your identity when you take on that name. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be a Christian either. For 40 years, I was a Christian too. Until I discovered I'm not a Christian. I had dropped the title. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to beat up the title I understand I was there myself so let me understand let me tell you I was there for 40 years since 12 years old I was in the touch you understand I didn't backslide I didn't look back I was in touch I was there in morning noon and night I was the first one time in the last one to leave let's be clear I was dedicated do you understand if it snowed outside I'll be the first man there if it's a snowstorm I still show up to give God his money so when I speak, you better got to understand, I've been in this stuff for 40 years. So I know the ins and out of it. So when I make a statement, I'm not trying to bash them. I'm just telling you what I was told and what I was taught. And so I'm trying to fix some of that in us because you don't have to make mistakes that I made. We are supposed to be like God in character, in our identity. We're supposed to be like Jesus. No more, no less. You're supposed to walk like Jesus. Mm, your reflection is supposed to be like Jesus. That's what his nature is. Anything less than that, right, creates a shroud or a covering over our his character and his nature within us. So we need to have the identity of one righteous citizens, obedient to the commandment of God, walking in, in favor, walking with our head up, healing the sick, raising the dead, In other words, identity, if we're going to identify with Christ, then he says, seek those things that are above, not on the earth. What are we seeking? Because we don't understand our identity, we're seeking earthly things. God's not saying he's opposed to you having earthly things. But if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then these things shall be added. That's a byproduct of walking right. Mama said, when you go out, you act like him. And when you come home, I should still act like him. He should not change, exactly. If he changes, he's schizophrenic. (laughs) He's bipolar. <laughs> I'm not touching that one. I'm just telling you. We, we got to be one with us. Because <laughs> nobody's living with you but you. So you need to be one with yourself. So you cannot be one person in the street, one person at home. You're nice and church, but you're, you're the demon. We wonder why these fights occur. You know, we're quoting scripture against each other. Get me behind me, Satan. Could it be in church we act like a saint, but we come home and act like the devil? And we wonder why this in chaos? You cannot live a double life. That's worldly, that's Christianity, that's religion. That's not the kingdom of God. You have to be a person of character and you got a person and your identity you and person of integrity. You cannot be schizophrenic. It can't be one thing one way, another thing another. One thing people says for me and says to me all the time for the past 40 years, here's the word they will say to me, Gary, you never change. You're always the same. Can I tell you why? Because I'm one with myself. I cannot be something in the store, something in the church, be something else when you see me. If I'm having a bad time, not your fault. I gotta still be the same person. That's called identity, it's my character, it's my nature. And we're supposed to walk in like manner as Jesus walked. So your standard of living is not each other. My mom is not my standard, my wife's not my standard, Jesus is my standard. And it's my responsibility to walk and live and talk like him. Now we can encourage each other, but the Identity as a son of God was to walk in like manner as Jesus walked. No more, no less. Here's what we've done. If Jesus is a standard, the church is up here and they're comparing themselves to the world down here. By the church understanding, the world looks bad. So they look down their nose at the world and tell them about how terrible that world is. Oh, then wicked sinners, they're going to hell, Right? Is that what we're doing? We quit the point of finger because here's the key part. The standard is each other. We're in the church. The world's way down here. They, they, they're at the bottom of the pile. Man, there's some terrible stuff going on out there. And so because we're here, we think we're better. But here's what I need to show you. But if Jesus is the standard and you're here and they're there, you're both failing God. You cannot use that to be the standard because Jesus is the standard. So both of us needs to come up. So, how dare I where I am look down on them when I'm living far below my potential, far below my purpose, far below my talent and ability. And I dare to judge the world? You don't earn that right to do that. We gotta come up to Jesus' standard, then you'll judge the world justly. You'll judge them right. (laughs) Oh, come on. Never say we should not shun the sinner. We should love harder and be patient as he has been with us all. Ain't that the truth? But you cannot love the sinner until you accept his love for you being a sinner. You see, we want to love the sinner when they are sinning and justify their sinning. No, 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 no. You've got to learn to love yourself. Receive God's love. And then you have love to get that sinner because you understand the reason why you love them. Not because they're sinners, because you see the image and the reflection of God in them. We gotta understand the concepts here. You just don't love sinners, because we love to love sinners because I'm a sinner and I'm hoping if I'm down there, somebody be compassionate to me. My simple question is this, what make you think you'd be down there? See, we've dropped the standard. Why not raise the standard? Say no. I can only love a sinner when I receive love for myself from God. And when I can receive that love, then I can see the same sinner the way God sees me. And he loves me without condition. I can love them without condition. But I can't give him what I got for me first i got to love me. Then I can love the sinner, and I will condemn them in their sin, and I'll be patient towards them, and my love will reach out to them because I'm not expecting anything back from them. Do you understand? Because here's what we're saying. The statements, many times we say them, they sound pretty good they're right? And we should do that, but we have no concept how to do it. I'm always giving the how and the why. Because the first commandment of Scripture, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then you love your neighbor as you love yourself. So you can't tell me people love in the world, love sinners, and I hate me. I hate me. That's a contradiction. You cannot be hating you. You've got to love you. Mm. The person we most despise is the person we reflect back in the mirror. That's a problem. That's not good. When I look in the mirror, I say, boy, you look good You your heart. I know nobody around. You've got to talk to yourself. You look good, <laughs> and I like me, I love myself. Now, that's not a pride thing. The way the church is, you oh, know, just be nervous and be prideful. No, it's not. The Bible commands us to love ourselves first before we can love our neighbors. You gotta love you, and you gotta start accepting you. Now, the suit we're wearing, there's we're probably because we're looking at things from the outside, aren't we? The suit you're wearing may not be the size suit you want, <laughs> I know the size suit you got (laughs) Ah, Lord help us (laughs) I look at it Okay, the face you're wearing I know I got some spots, some holes, some dimples I know, fix it Alright, the suit you're wearing Put down the leftovers I'm just telling you Alright, so change that, get some exercise in there (laughs) Alright We're judging ourselves Because we don't like what we're seeing But we are the one who's creating the problem but you've got to learn to understand what I'm loving is not my dirt suit. I'm loving the Spirit of God that's within me. Do you understand? Oh God. Because if I just love me from the outside, it's not good enough. And don't get me wrong, that's important. Because we are we are eye conscious and, and uh, feature conscious in our world. Uh, we look at our physical appearance and how we look, that's important. That's, that's important in our world, right? But really, the one we really gotta love is the is the inner man. We recognize that in the inner man, God is creating the inner man into his own image. That there is a you inside of you that the world cannot see. I may look a little puffy on the outside, just skinny, my hair is dropping out, you know, I got bad knees, bad back, bad heck. I'm, you know, I understand. That's our world. That's a portion, that's a portion that's attached to our sin nature. Okay, so I get it. But the idea is that you gotta learn to see yourself not from the outside in, but from the inside out. You got to learn how to do that. That's why you can love you. Not necessarily a dirt suit. Even though I love my dirt suit. It's strong. It does what I need to do. But the dirt suit's going back to the worm from which it came, the dust of the ground. The Bible's very clear about that. That's the one he's talking about. Is learn to love the inner man that he's building in the image of God, which the natural eye can't see and most can't see it. But you got to learn to see yourself from the inside out to love you. And once you can see that for yourself, that's the inner man. Then when you look at a sinner, see the inner man. Because the image and the shadow of God is inside that sinner. And God loves them the same way he loves you. That's why we love them. This is how we do it. So that's the point I want to speak to let you understand how this process works. All right. So what we're talking about now, We can be shaped into his nature and into his identity. We should have his attributes. Hmm. Kindness, patience, long-suffering, loving, tender. Hmm. (sighs) Meek, mild. Those are characteristics that we hear that we don't fully grasp them. Meek does not mean weak. Meek, M-E-E-K, does not mean W-E-A-K. Meek is power and strength under control. Hmm. So part of our attribute is that we're meek and we're mild. We're patient. We're kind. We're peace-loving. We try in the kingdom to make peace with our enemies. We do good to those. This is our Nature, this is our character. This is what kingdom offers. So we forgive our enemies. We do good to those who despise us and abuse and say all manner of evil against us. That is the nature and the attribute and the character of a kingdom citizen, is that we are kind to those who don't like us, who abuses us. We don't condemn them. We don't curse them out. Because always in our eyes, we are always seeing the reflection that God sees in us, in them. So I can look beyond their flaws. I can look beyond their rudeness. I can look beyond their cursing us out. I can look beyond them cussing us out. And I can look beyond and say, God, I have mercy and compassion upon them. Do not hold this thing to their charge. Why did he say that? Stephen said it. Jesus said, Lord, do not hold this to their charge. Because he still saw the image and reflection of God in them. They weren't living up to that image or standard when he said it. They were living to their lower base nature. But he said it then to realize that there's potential and there's purpose still in them. That's why every sinner you look at out here doing wicked, vile things, sometimes it's hard. I know. It takes literally the mercy and the power of God to help us to see beyond them. Because some people are vile and they're wicked. And some are getting wickeder in their wickedness. It's harder to see it, but it's still there. And until they take their last breath, they still have hope. Because God don't give up on them. Neither should we. And always try to find the good in them. So we have to look at in our nature of God, he's developing in us, his character, his identity, his attributes and have his behavior another part of his nature since he's chosen, we should act and behave just like him. He is the standard so to drop our behavior and justify, oh I'm not perfect, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Stop that foolishness live right choose to obey God <laughs> You know, we're justifying things, but we're supposed to have his behavior. Be kind. Go to a Zacchaeus' house, who's a tax collector, who the religious people are saying, "Don't go to his house. He's worse than a sinner. He steals people' taxes." And all Jesus did for that man was he went to his house, a tax collector. He didn't preach at him. He didn't beat him up. He didn't cuss it out. He just hung out with him. When he got there, the man made him a meal, invite his friends. And then because Jesus was kind to him, because that's what the kings do, favored him. He didn't say a word. He said, Zacchaeus, repent. Zacchaeus, give the money back. Zacchaeus come to him and said, if I have stolen from anyone in taxes, I will repay back four times. Then Jesus turned to him and said, now salvation has come to your house. Did Jesus tell him to do that? No. All he did was go to his house, a sinner, and sat with him and ate. He never preached to him. He never condemned them, he just was there with him. Many a times we are around sinners, we want to convert them, leave them alone. Many of us want to convert them when they're not ready. Just be their friends. They'll tell you when they're ready, if they can see the nature and the character of God in you, they'll tell you, man, I want what you got. And until that, silence, just be their friends. I'm learning and I've learned how to do this with my golf buddies who I hang out with. They all know me. When I get around them, one over here drinking his beer, one I have a sandwich over here, another one drinking a little wine over here, that's okay by me. Don't bother me. None. That's their choice to do that. But all I'm there for, I hang out with them because they want me there. But you know, in the midst of that situation, there's also going to be a crisis and they need wisdom and they need direction. Guess who they turn to? They'll tell you, they, listen, they'll tell me straight up, ask Gary. Now, these are people who are doing what they're doing. But I'm not there to condemn them. I'm just a friend. And in the midst of crisis, when they need wisdom and direction, and they need guidance, guess who they turn to? They come to me for that. Because they know I don't join them in their activity. I'll sit with them. I'll drink some water. I'll drink a Coca-Cola. Had my sandwich. But I'm not there to condemn. I'm just being like Jesus amongst them. And let them come to me. And listen, they tell me some stuff, some stuff I don't need to know. But when I'm around, this seems they're compelled to tell me stuff. I mean, I'm around with a brother saying, brother. I sleep with prostitutes. I'm trying to save them. I tell them, get out of that business. But I sleep with them. I don't need to you know that. But he feels compelled to tell me. I don't beat him up for it. He's being honest. I'll put it another way for you. I love sinners and I love being around them. Can I tell you why? Because they are honest about where they are. <sighs> Strange statement, huh? They are honest. They don't try to keep up the appearances. They don't put on the facade. They just tell you straight where they are, and they don't care what you like it don't like it. Don't matter. I even tell you like it is. What I don't like is people who pretend to be somewhere they're not. Hey brother, how you doing? I'm blessed by the best and pray for the rest. And your your life look like a a car just ran you over. Who are you trying to convince? Be honest about yourself. You're struggling. Your life look terrible. But I'm blessed. I'm blessed. No, you're not. I can tell. You can't tell that to me. I'm a discerning man. Come on. <laughs> I hear beyond words. I'm hearing you trying to convince me but I'm not impressed because I know what I'm hearing don't match what I'm seeing and I can read a lot deeper than that. I'm blessed. No, you're not. I'm depressed. I'm oppressed. <laughs> oh, God, help us. But I love sinners because they tell you the truth. They don't care. So we're supposed to have His nature, right? His character, his identity, his attribute, his behavior. We're supposed to have his thought. We're supposed to have his thought, his mind, his mindset. Hmm. Seek those things that are above. You should have the mind of Christ. When circumstances come, we don't let the circumstance become, become bigger than our God. But we're supposed to put it in proper context to recognize I have dominion over that thing. We're supposed to have the thought. Jesus had the thought of God. No matter what they're hearing, your eyes are not on men. Your eyes are on the Lord. Do you understand? So no matter what Jesus heard, he didn't panic about anything, did he? When they brought him in the wilderness, people who with him for three days did not eat. There was no fast food. There were no Wendy's. There were no Mickey's out there. ain't certain there was no Walmart or Wawa. He said, well, feed these people. I have compassion on them. been with me. I don't want to feign the wilderness. And he turns to the Sabbath and he said, you guys feed them. They said, what? you see this crap? Here, oh my god, who can feed this multitude? We don't need three or four days labor to get no money to feed these fool people. He said, What do you have? He said, We have two fish, five low, little boar, boar, his not. He said, Bring it to me. No, watch this. Watch what he does to show you the mind. They were panicking, looking at their circumstance through the eyes. Who has enough out here to feed those people? He said, What do you have? Take the little bit you got. And here's the key part little is much when you place it in the hands of the Lord. <laughs> It's not the size. It's your belief. It's not the size. <laughs> my wife said this to me. said, Psalms 141:6. When their judges are overthrown in stony places, they shall hear my words, for they are sweet, and they are sweet to the hearing. Amen. <sighs> they brought to him the two-fish pile loaf, a small little boy's lunch. And all he did, he didn't panic. He didn't get upset. He's like, oh, God, I don't know how I'm going to feed all these people. And the Bible says, by the way, that he fed them all with, uh, I think, 5,000 men plus women and children, some of like that, ten to 15,000 people out there. All he did with the right mind, he lifted it up. By the way, lifting it up is prayer. And he just gave, thank you, Father. That's all he did. He didn't panic. He didn't pray. He just lifted it up and gave thanks. That's prayer in kingdom. Lifting it up, giving thanks and he said, broke it, broke it. And he fed the entire multitude. He did not panic. We're supposed to have that mindset. It doesn't matter what your circumstance looked like. If you understand, live as much when you place it in God's hand. You're supposed to just lift up what you have, give thanks, and just do what God asks you to do. The same mindset. That's what he's talking about here. So with this king, and this king that we're talking about, he wants citizens that reflect his character, his identity, his attributes, his behavior, and his thought. And here's the next one. This is most important. And his that's about obedience isn't it Hmm. you're supposed to make the choices in your life that lines up with the word of god thus grace thus the holy spirit that's why grace was given why the holy spirit was sent so it gives you the power enablement and strength to make the right choice when you're being tested or being tempted or when you're weak thus the word choices so when you have the mind of god you have the character, the identity, the attributes, then your choices will line up to what lines up with his written word. You will make choices to obey his word, not to break them. That's the nature that a king present to a citizen, and he wants the citizen to reflect him, which is all these attributes. Now you understand a king. Thus, why we cannot trust in our democracy presidents, governors, mayors, and congresspeople. Have we ever figured out why we can't trust them? because they're not focused on justice and righteousness. They're about self-dealing and self-interest. They try to do right, but without the right character, identity, attributes, behavior, thought, and choice, they will sell you and I out behind closed doors. Because it's not about you when I'm by myself. It's all about me and what I can get for me. But in public, I'll tell you what you want to hear. That's what they call politician. Polly. <laughs> they tell you what you want to hear, and many of us have believed them. Politics. Mm. More ticks than poly. I'm just saying, but it's not a story. Okay. So we're talking about now in the kingdom, he chooses a citizen, which you and I have been chosen, set apart, right? And then he now <clears throat> as a choose citizen. He wants a citizen to reflect his nature. And the final one after the end here tonight I finish up is culture, his culture. So within the kingdom it's a culture, a mindset. Let me define the word culture. Culture is defined as is by a sociologist defining is a non-material aspect of cultures as the values and the beliefs the values and the beliefs, the language, the communication, and the practices that are shared common in amongst the group and the people. This common amongst the group or the people, right? Culture is also what we do and how we behave and perform. For example, theater and dance. It is informed and it is encapsulated in how we walk, sit, carry our bodies, interact with others, how we behave depending on the place, the time, and the audience, how we express our identity of race, class, gender, sexuality, amongst other things. Culture also include the collective practices we participate in such as religious ceremony and or secular holidays or attending sports thing or celebrating Christmas. All those are part of the culture of the society. But the sort of power don't come from the culture. It's what we accept within the norm of the people. So if they want to go to a religious ceremony in the kingdom, you're allowed to do that. You want to worship there, it's fine. If you want to go to some kind of celebrity holiday, if it's accepted as a cultural thing, Christmas, Thanksgiving, you can do that. Or attend some sport event, if you like that, go do that. In other words, God wants to reflect him in every area. So a part of this is culture, which is now in our values, what we value to be right and wrong. In our beliefs, what do we believe? He expects us to reflect his culture, our belief system. If we believe God's a righteous God, then we walk in righteousness. We will obey him. That's what he expects in the culture, right? In our language, how are you speaking? When situation comes your way that's contradictory to what you are believing, do you speak negative to it? Do you speak death to it? Do you speak life? Hmm. In him there was light, and in him there was no darkness. So in other words, what we're speaking is a part of our culture norm, based on what we heard. So we're supposed to be sounding and speaking just like the king. In this case, like God. In other words, like Jesus. So when situations come, you know exactly how to deal with it. That's a part of the cultural eye. Our communication. Mm. How we communicate with each other. Are we patient, long-suffering, kind? Being patient with one another. That's the whole idea. It's part of the culture, right? In the kingdom. And we're supposed to encourage. And our practices. Oh, there's that word, practice. the Pattern of repetition. Do we have a pattern or a habit or a practice of studying that word? Oh, Lord, someone sin against you. Or speaking right or doing what's right or holding up a standard when other people are dropping it. As a cultural act. We do not compromise with the world. That's for world system. That's the religious system. In the kingdom, we maintain the standard. Those who are coming around us, we do not drop it to accommodate them. We raise it and encourage them to come up. And if we hold it high, they'll come up high to meet it. But if we drop it, they'll stay where they are. So a part of the cultural act in the kingdom is that we raise the standard. Let me show you Jesus. Jesus never had to become a sinner to save sinners. He raised the standard. He remained righteous to show sinners how to come up to righteousness. He never dropped it. Mm. Wow. Give me another one. Jesus didn't have to get sick to show sick people how to remain whole. He remained whole to show sick people how to come up and remain whole. Do you understand? He never dropped the standards. He always raised it. But in our nature, what we have to do as a citizen, then we can't drop it either, can we? We've got to raise the standard for the people around us because they're looking for an example to follow anyway. We just don't know that. And they're looking for somebody who's not only telling them, but they're actually living the life. You see, a lot of what we do is talk about it, but we don't have the proof in the evidence. We are good talkers, but my question is, where's the fruit? Where is the beef? <laughs> Don't want went to pull this commercial out on you. Where is the beef? <laughs> I got a whole bun, but where the beef at? And that's what we are doing. We learn to be wordy. We learn to be talkers. But we have nothing to back up our words. And then we now understand this statement of the word of God that... That action speaks louder than words. People are looking for action not so much the words. And because we ain't got the action, we tend to give him a lot of words. We are very wordy. May I recommend you come back on the word and live the life? Live it. Jesus didn't have to tell him any time, he just lived it. And they all wanted to become him because he wasn't a talker. When he says something can happen, what he says he manifested. So there was always a proof of what he said. They were didn't believe him many times. The Pharisees didn't believe him. They didn't believe at all. And every time he did something, they say, because he's about the work of Beelzebub but he could not deny the evidence. They said, we know that no one can do the things you do except God is with them. They were saying it. So they know by proof that he was telling the truth. They didn't like what he said. They couldn't deny what he said. But when he made certain statements, they were willing to argue with him when he said it. But when he proved it, they had to back off, recognize this is truly the sons of God. And that's the key we got to understand. So many times we're telling, but we need to be living it that speaks louder in many people's eyes than the amount of words we can ever give them. And I'm learning how to live this character. That's the whole idea of a king. King wants his citizens to become just like him. He's the standard. And we got to come up to his standard. So when he chooses citizenry, he's very particular as to who he chooses. But once you get into the kingdom now, he's going to instruct you how to walk and live like him. Because what you're going to want from him when you get this kingdom is his favor. We'll talk about that next week. We're going to get further point the focus point. We're going to take a step by step to show you through what a kingdom is. Thus far, you understand the meaning of the word kingdom. You understand that kingdom is not a religion. But within a kingdom... And just like a democracy, they can allow as a part of the cultural norms, because people like that, a religious system. But the power does not lie in the religious system. It lies in the hand of the government. So that's where we have to differentiate. Just like it is in America today, it was the government who shut the schools down, who shut the businesses down. The church did not do that. Because they're part of the culture, they're not the authority. They're one of the subjects and one of the cultural norm in society, but don't have the power to tell the government they can't do that because the government is backed up by authority, by rights, by the police department, by the military. They got all the power. So when they say shut down, you shut down or we penalize you. The church didn't do that. The government did that. So if you understand, in a kingdom, the government is the king. And so because he has the power, he can shut anything down he wants to. That's why you want to be part of his kingdom, because then you're going to operate just like the king. He's going to give you a delegated authority. We'll talk about that. And so next week we're going to pick up from here and go into some constitutional scripture to break some stuff down for you. We're going to pick up and continue on in this concept of the kingdom. My time, believe it or not, I've come to the end of this session already, and I barely got past page one. Lots of material, lots of stuff. But by the time I'm done with you in this session and the teaching on the kingdom, you will know what the kingdom is. And by the way, you're going to be, as you listen to me, you're invited to enter in, into the kingdom living, choice of the heart, through illumination, through revelation. you no longer need to walk in darkness. That's your identity that you have the rights, you have authority. And once you've been chosen and you now know you're a chosen generation, called out, separated for God, then you can start to walk in boldness. But the key to walking in boldness and confidence when it comes to approaching the king, you've got to be a law-abiding citizen. You've got to be obeying his law because what that gives you is confidence towards the king. So when you request anything, according to his will, you know you will have it. Because you're not going down trying to beg him. It's his good pleasure to give you good things, but you can't ask him if you don't feel worthy or good enough to ask him. And so you'll suffer more than you have to. And he doesn't intend for you to suffer. You're gonna find out his nature and his his care is his whole kingdom is built, It's gonna find later on, is built upon how he treats you and I. Oh my, he wants to have a good reputation amongst you. That he's a good God. He's a good king. And so, he looks out for the well-being of his citizens. More so than he does for himself. Oh, if you understand, you gotta understand who this God we're serving. It's no longer a religious one sitting up there. That's religion. That's not the God we serve. Our king is alive and well. And he talks about coming back. We don't talk about when he's coming back. Matthew 24, 14. The message should be preached to all nations and then he's coming back to get his kids. So prepare yourself. All right, at the end of here tonight, thank you once again for joining me. Hopefully you'll learn something. Hey, Lula, came in last minute, but I heard you getting something tonight. Go back and listen to this. I said, break the kingdom down for you because if you understand it, you can live in kingdom now. You don't have to wait to go to heaven to live in it. Start your training and your practice for rulership, for justice and for righteousness now because in that new kingdom, kingdom he said no wicked sinner adultery fornicator liar cheater shall enter only those who operate in obedience and righteousness and he'll give them position of authority to rule the new heaven new earth so prepare yourself that's what we're taking into god bless you all love you all see you next week and hope you have a good night blessing to you all bye-bye now